Hello and welcome to another episode of Nonprofit Vision. This is your host, Greg Nielsen. I'm the president and CEO of Nielsen Training and Consulting, where we work with nonprofit organizations nationally, uh, primarily in the areas of board excellence, strategy, and organizational development. Um, this is our second podcast episode of 2020, and um, as many of you know who follow the news, 2020 is bound to be um, an active year from an election standpoint, from an advocacy standpoint, and that's today's topic. We're going to be talking about nonprofit advocacy, why it's important, how to take some concrete steps to move into that space, and what are some trends that we see in the advocacy landscape. And to help us with that conversation, I'm, I'm thrilled to be joined today by Bethany Snyder. Uh, Bethany is the, is the founder and the brains behind Snyder Strategies. She's an expert when it comes to nonprofit advocacy. Bethany, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. So excited to be here. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you join us today. I know we're going to learn a lot from you and with you today. Um, maybe if you could at the outset talk to us a little bit about your background and how you came to be involved uh, in the nonprofit advocacy space. Oh great. So um, I've been in the advocacy space for about 15 or 20 years. I, After my undergrad um, I had my degree in sociology and women's studies which naturally leads you to a career in nonprofit advocacy. But sure. I moved I moved to Washington DC and really just got bitten by the bug there. One of my main motivations is we have so many huge societal problems and challenges that our nonprofit sector is trying to um, address. And advocacy is at the root, you know, advocacy is one of the solutions. Um, these big policy challenges are the root cause. And so that really appealed to me. And so um, I've been a grassroots director for the Heart Association. Um, and I worked for five years as a United States um, Senate staffer in healthcare and LGBTQ nutrition and senior issues. Um, I've been a lobbyist, I've been a consultant, and now I work to make sure that the nonprofit sector has these skills to pass good policy and to strengthen their organizations. That's great. I really like the fact that you've seen the legislative process and you've seen the advocacy um, process from a from a bunch of different perspectives you know both in the, mm -hmm. in the Senate as a staffer as a lobbyist yourself and also now as a consultant to nonprofit organizations have those experiences changed your perspective about the legislative process and about the role of advocacy oh definitely um, well most instrumental so being a United States Senate staffer was phenomenal I always say I peaked at 35 um, <laughs> yeah that was awesome I mean we have such a we have such a view of politics. We see this negative view. Um, we see the, the horse race view. And I really got to see the human view, like how we're actually changing people's lives and how public policy can have a direct impact on people's lives. Um, also, I approach this work from like the LGBTQ perspective and I'm an LGBTQ person. And I just see how many of people in my community sit out of the process and it, in, it has very concrete impacts on our lives every day. Um, so those two things really uh, appeal to me. And then also being a lobbyist was very instructive. I learned I did not want to be a lobbyist when I was a lobbyist. And I, sometimes I tell interns that sometimes the greatest lesson you learn from internships is what you don't want to do. Um, yeah, yeah, and so, uh, but it was great to see like that process. And I realized lobbyists are really focused on getting a bill from here to here. Um, really concrete steps. We're like a grassroots strategist or like what I like to do is about how we building power for our organizations. And those are two very, very distinct views. 
Absolutely. And I, I think that it's important, though, to see the linkage between mm -hmm. what happens in the nonprofit community, what our organizations are working on on a daily basis, and the policy ramifications or the policy, the impact of public policy mm -hmm. on the work of our nonprofit organizations. I think sometimes the temptation is to view ourselves in a silo that, you know, we're over here in the nonprofit sector and legislation is happening way over here outside of our views. So if you could maybe talk about how to, you know, how those silos break down or how you see the interplay between those. Right. Well, I think many of those silos have been created by funding mechanisms. So in the past, foundations have, very, have been very reticent to engage in advocacy and fund advocacy. But there's been an awesome, which I think is an awesome trend over the last five to 10 years, where more foundations and funders are seeing like we can't solve homelessness unless we impact public policy. Like we can keep trying to house everyone, but if we don't address the root cause of homelessness, like we're, we're never gonna solve this problem. And I've been really engaged in the healthcare sectors really or my policy expertise is, and it's the same thing. Like we can keep trying to address these social determinants of health and trying to help, uh, increase people's health outcomes and help them live longer. But if we don't address public policy, we're only gonna keep just running in place. Exactly. So, um, and what I love about the nonprofit sector is they are seeing, like they, they are seeing these things on the ground. They see exactly where public policy um hits their communities and they and that voice is just sorely needed they're in the legislatures across the country and i know you've written a lot about nonprofit advocacy and, mm -hmm. and trends um one of the things that jumped out at me from your writings was when you when you talked about how nonprofits really are the grassroots organizations that are in the trenches and that understand really complex issues around healthcare, the environment education at a deep level and one of the benefits that they can bring to the advocacy space to the legislative process um, is helping legislators understand those issues um, at the person level how it yeah. impacts individuals within the community I, I found that to be a very powerful point that you made well thank you um yeah i mean when it comes to legislative advocacy like legislative staff, we can get thrown all the white papers in the world, all the fact sheets, all the talking points, but the things that our bosses remember and the things that legislators remember are those human impact stories. And we know this, I, one of the trends, I, legislative advocacy trends of 2020 is storytelling. And we know that people are much more likely to remember facts within a story than just facts without a story. Right. Um, and so also, another thing that I love about advocacy and nonprofit advocacy is, it's hard out there. I mean, you're seeing really challenging societal issues. And I think some people might think this is surprising, but I see legislative advocacy as like hopeful and making progress and seeing the future. And so I think just from a staff perspective, when you can give those tools to your staff to say, you know, I know you see these really hard things every day and feeding people, um, trying to get their basic needs met. There's a vision out here where we can make people's lives great and you can contribute to that, I think that's also really powerful. And I think that's an important segue to my next question, which is around that value proposition. So, you know, anytime I'm working with nonprofit organizations or boards, um, you know, whether it's strategy or, or board development, you know, starting with that value proposition is critically important. And I, you know, I think making that linkage for organizations of what is the value proposition for them mm -hmm. to engage in advocacy? As you mentioned, you know, these are staffs that are, 
um, already overworked, that are already mm -hmm. stressed out? What, how do you present and represent the value proposition for organizations to move into that advocacy process? Well, first, um, I always say, a lot of, so I have lots of things to say about this, but a lot of people, a lot of nonprofit folks will say, our donors don't want us to engage in advocacy. So I have a whole bunch of myths and berries on it. And I say, that is absolutely not true. I am 100% certain that your donors are already engaged in that. Like they are giving to political candidates. They are tracking it. Like they are already in those worlds and you're just not accessing it. Right. You're just not leveraging it. So there's that is there are, you're already there. You're just, you're just not tapped into it. Um, the second point is, um, oh, I just totally lost my train of thought. But um, so, yeah, also, there's so many great reasons to be involved in advocacy. So I have lots of different stats about um, a donor engaged in advocacy gives 60% than a donor not engaged in advocacy. So, I mean, I really see advocacy as passing good policy, but also strengthening your organization for the future. A lot of times organizations struggle with how do we engage our donors without just fundraising requests or not just telling the stories of our people, which is great. But what's great about advocacy, it happens every single year. There's a calendar around it, usually multiple calendars if you're doing you know, local, state, federal. There's always a reason to reach out to your donors about advocacy that doesn't have to do with um, asking them for money. Um, so I just really see advocacy as another way to strengthen your relationship with your donors and members and stakeholders, your stakeholders, and bringing them closer to your mission and engaging them. And I feel like advocacy is your mission lived out. And I, I think there are two, um, there are two other objections that mm -hmm. I hear often from organizations and I'd be interested to hear you comment mm -hmm. on them because I'm sure you've heard them a billion times as well. Um, the first being, and it's obviously a fallacy, but the first that I hear from a lot of boards is we're a nonprofit. We're a 501c3. We can't do advocacy. So I'm going to, as an yeah. attorney, I, I know yeah. the answer to that, uh, but I'm going to turn the floor over to you and, and let you hammer away that, at that one. Well, yeah, that is patently untrue. Um, so I think a lot of times people get confused between politics and advocacy. So there are very strict IRS rules around politics, but politics is very narrowly defined. So that's just candidates, parties and elections. If you're not saying vote for this person or follow this or, you know, believe in this party or get involved in, and even you can do election work, we can talk about that later. But if you're scared, just stay away from elections. If you're saying we need to solve homelessness and we need um, to count all the homeless people, the unhoused people in our community, and we need to go to our, you know, board of supervisors to do that, that is not politics. That's purely advocacy. Um, and again, it's, and so I would say that that's, I usually see that as more as, a, as an excuse. If people really want to get engaged, it will not let them stop them. Of course, there are, once you get more sophisticated and if you get lobbyists, there's rules you have to abide by and sp spending limits. But if you're just sharing information that you see every day about the issue, that is just purely education information that has nothing to do with the IRS, you know, um, restrictions. So that's the first myth we can, we can yes. put to bed. The second myth to put to bed mm -hmm. is, um, and you alluded to it just a minute ago, um, sometimes we think of advocacy work as being limited to lobbying. We think mm -hmm. about going to the state capitol or we think about going to DC and sitting down with our representative or our senator and lobbying for a particular bill or lobbying mm -hmm. on a particular issue, when in reality, advocacy is a lot more about education and about developing relationships. So I wonder if you could talk about 
Um, sort of the breadth of how you define advocacy, and I know you've written about opportunities to educate legislators. If you could talk maybe a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, that you just summed it up exactly well, is that most of advocacy is about educating the lawmaker, but also educating your members. Like, um, I think a lot of times we just see advocacy as focused on a, we call them our legislative targets, right? These lawmakers, these people that are changing the laws. But I, a lot of our communication is to our donors about what advocacy is, what bills we're working on, how this is going to impact um, our community. And that, and even having your members or donors educate lawmakers, that's just education. I would say even as a lobbyist, I would say like one third of my job was act, it's when you're actually saying to a lawmaker, will you vote for this bill? Will you support this bill? Otherwise, it's all education. So even within a lobbyist role, um, that's very narrowly defined as, you know, lobbying is very narrowly defined as asking a lawmaker to support or not support a specific, you know, bill. Okay. So we, you know, there are a lot of organizations, as you mentioned, that have lobbyists on staff mm -hmm. or who contract with lobbyists. I'm going to put my nonprofit executive hat mm -hmm. on for a minute. Um, and let's just assume that I don't have a lobbyist. Mm -hmm. I have yeah. a small staff, perhaps I'm a small to mid-sized organization, but I recognize the value of advocacy. How does an organization like that get started? What are some easy wins or first steps mm -hmm. they can take to move into this space? Well, I think the first thing I would recommend is first find out who is doing this work in your community. Is there already an established coalition? Do they meet regularly? Can you just call up the leader of the coalition? Um, can you just uh, jump in, find out when their next meeting is and stop by and just see what they're talking about? And usually policy coalitions are looking for organizations who work with the people most impacted by the law. Right. And that's actually usually a missing component. Usually it's like, you know, these lobbyists and advocacy organizations who may be a little bit further removed from the field. So that's number one. Just find out who in the community is doing this work. The second, th and then you can just sign your name to, you can just become a supporter. I mean, that's really easy. Get on their email list, find out, see what their cadence is, see what their communications are, see what events they're doing and see if any of them feel right. Mm -hmm. I think it's just information gathering. And the second thing I say is there's sometimes a lot of like um, letters of support that or you know organizations are trying to get others to sign on to sign on to a letter of support say yes we do support this then you can communicate that to your board you can communicate that to your donor say we signed on to this letter of support i mean and that is real i mean that does not take much effort or time i mean unless you have to get approval from your board but then again that's easy like we would just like to put our name put our weight behind this right. to show that we're at least engaged in the conversation or paying right. attention. Right. So I think those are, those are great steps also. Mm -hmm. What about the benefits of inviting legislators, inviting staff members to your organization, you know, whether it be a tour, whether it be a lunch and learn, um, those seem like easy wins for me. They, Have you seen they, those yeah. be effective for organizations? Oh, most definitely. I think those are very easy wins, but that's so intimidating <laughs> um, for the staff. If they've never done like, con like, who do I contact? True. Do I call DC to get the, you know, cause that's who we always hear about. Some people don't even know that you, they all have in district offices right. and they all have staff sitting there waiting. I just say this <laughs> um, for people to call them and invite them to tours. <laughs> I mean, literally that's what. But help I them out, right? Give them something that, to do during yeah. the day. I mean, that was 75% of my job as a Senate staffer. I worked actually in a state office. So I wasn't in the DC office and 
75% of what I did was just go around and meet with people, go and do tours. And I was really um, proactive and would call and ask if I could come tour, but not all Senate offices operate that way. Sure. So yeah, just in, it, also just start with the staff. I mean, this is another thing. Don't get bummed if, you know, um, you know, Senator Boxer doesn't come and visit your, you know, your facility. Like she's very busy. There's some impeachment things happening. Um, <laughs> just a few things going. Just a few on. things happening. But her staff probably would love to come visit. Okay. Um, there is there is value in having staff oh. members visit the organization. They're a liaison. They're a connection point. To the they are, and I will say, um, typically, and as I have lots of this to say about being a staff person because I was one. Um, but make them your best friend. Like they're the ones who are going to be advising the lawmaker. I mean, even I worked for a really smart lawmaker, and he he was on Senate Education, Labor and Pensions, Environment and Energy, Indian Affairs, Aging judiciary like you can't be smart in everything like you know like you can only know so much um but that's why they have staff because we were subject matter experts and so he would turn to me and say should we support this or and i would help advise on that and so um staff you do want and the staff even if you do get a chance to be in front of that lawmaker afterwards he's going to turn to me and be like did you take notes about that like like that person is just responsible for it so just make really good make best friends with the staff person, invite them to your facility for a tour. And also I would never have my boss go on a tour that I had never been on. Good point. That's just, that would be just, I have to write the memo. I have to do all the background research. I mean, it just, I have to do it anyway. So if I've come, it's just a lot easier than me just making stuff up, you know, or, you know, so that should always be your first step anyway, is to get to know the staffer. One of the, um, and, and I've seen it in your writings and it, I loved it, was a conversation around another value that nonprofit organizations bring to the legislative process and this relationship building is data. Mm. You know, the ability to have metrics to understand the issue, um, yes, from a storytelling perspective mm-hmm. and from a person-centered perspective, but also what do the numbers indicate? What is the what are they seeing in terms of big and small data? So how do you well, how do you represent that and and talk a little bit about the value nonprofits can bring there? Yes, well, that is something that's actually another trend in legislative trends that's been happening over the last ten years is that um, members of Congress don't stay in office as long, their staff don't stay in office. Um, get pushed into the private sector quicker because of horrible salaries. Um, The knowledge base on Capitol Hill is less. Um, And these problems that they're trying to solve are huge. And so I work with a lot of organizations in the health and human services sector, complicated, complicated areas, huge budget implications. Usually the health and human services budget is the largest of any state. Yes. and they have these staff that before, back in the day, you might have a staffer for 10, 15, eight years. They can really dive in, understand the issue. And then also the member themselves. But like I said, due to retirement, a volatile election map, staff being pulled into the private sector, there's less knowledge base on Capitol Hill. Therefore, nonprofits are even more key in filling that knowledge gap. Right. Um, you can go in with your fact sheets and talk about this is what's happening in our community, the community you sit in right now, which doesn't necessarily always get transferred um, in Washington, D.C. Is, is either, is that really local perspective on an issue. How do you help organizations tell their story? So, you know, there's lots of different ways to tell mm-hmm. the story, but, you know, I'm, I'm envisioning, um, you know, the legislative process and building that relationship requires concise information. Mm-hmm. 
you're not going to get you know five hours or a half a day or a full day with the legislator you can you're going to have to tell a story in a really concise way that includes your data also includes some of the individual or personalized stories how do you help organizations kind of hone all of the information that mm -hmm. they have where they may want to um, go really deep and, and make it as impactful as possible no definitely i always so when i talk about legislative advocacy i am an outrage i talk about grassroots and grass tops so your grassroots is about quantity. How are we showing that we're a movement? How are we showing that we're just not a single issue organization, that we have a constituency behind us, right? But then we have our grass tops. And these are people that are really close to our mission, that are really close to our organization, that have the data, that have the credibility, that have the subject matter expertise. And so that's where you, I would start looking is like, so what's our grassroots capacities and where's that? And then what's, what do we need our grass tops in? What do we, who are those people that we know have the knowledge that we do need to engage? And then I always encourage trainings. I mean, um, I can't imagine, I can't think of a client that I've had where I haven't said we need some to do some more advocacy trainings, right? Yeah. And whether that's for your board of directors or your key staff or whatever that looks like to help them do role playing, do a legislative visit, really be succinct because you only have, I mean, maybe the staff in a district office, you might have 30 minutes, but in DC, you're going to have 15. And it's going to be quick. So when you think of that advocacy training, are there three, four or five bullet points that, that you like to have on that agenda to, to make sure that folks are armed with what they need? Yeah. I mean, it's really up to like always bring, you know, bring your follow-up materials. If it's already in writing, just, you don't have to go through everything. Like just pick what are the th what are the three things we need to know. But another thing I always think that we forget to do is well first you should always research your target. Where are they on you know that's going to determine how the conversation is going to go. Right. Have they been supportive of our stuff? Have they not been supportive of our stuff? So that's going to really shape the meeting. And then I was always so surprised by the amount of people who didn't ask me any questions. <laughs> <laughs> like they would just talk and sometimes I didn't want them to like I'm like yes. oh my gosh I hope they don't ask me more about this because they're right. not gonna like my answer so right. I would just not bring anything up I'd be like thank you this is right. great I'll bring right. this to my but if they would say so can we count on your boss's vote like I had and then just be silent yes just then don't speak yes I mean I always say that I know it's uncomfortable it's a tough one. it is but always ask the question say what other kind of I really reserve a good amount of time to ask questions. How's your boss thinking about this issue? What is informing their decision? What other information do you need from us to help him, you know, make this decision? Great question. So I think that's something I always talk about is be quick, but then also leave time to ask that staff for really valuable information. So you touched on it a minute ago. Um, a lot of times we're, you know, it's naturally more comfortable for us to reach out to legislators who may look favorably mm -hmm. on our organizations. Perhaps they've supported us in the past or we know their policy positions align with ours. What advice would you give to organizations that may be in districts that have a representative or a senator um, that is hostile to their mm -hmm. mission or is not supportive of um, issues and, and pieces of legislation that are important to the organization. Do you still reach out to that individual or how, do, how, does, that, um, how does that factor in the calculus of building an advocacy program? Oh, absolutely. I, there's two, um, there's one myth and barrier I always get and it's um, I don't contact my legislator because they're either so liberal or they're already set in their position. They're either so liberal and they agree with me or they're conservative and they don't or whatever it is, right? And I always say, and since I do a lot of um, 
advocacy workshops for LGBTQ people is you never want to hear a lawmaker say, well, I never heard from them. Like that should, like they, like I never want to hear a lawmaker say that, well, I have no LGBT people in my district. Cause we know that's patently untrue. We know that we live everywhere. So they should never be able, don't let them off the hook, right? <laughs> All that you exist, you're here. Um, but also if you do feel like they're going to be hostile or they haven't really been on your side, go in there and have it feel like, how can we work together? Are there bills that your boss is working on that can help our cause? You know, just really go in there, I think, with an open mind and seeing that where are their priorities? Um, and maybe I would use that more as a, I would ask a whole bunch of questions, then browbeating them with my information, just to see where they are and to see where you can have, maybe there's those little wins. So I'll give a really good example if you'd like. Um, Please. So when I worked for my senator, he was a member of the Democratic Party, and I would say, one might say very liberal. And every, I'd say every three months, the um, parish nurses would reach out to me, the Catholic nurses. And they, um, there was a lot of things that we disagreed on. Um, they want to talk about birth control and other things. And I'm, you know, I, I said to them, you know, this is something my boss is not going to move on, but let's talk, let's find those opportunities where we can work together poverty elimination, access to health care. These are all things that the parish nurses and my boss agreed on. Right. So how are there ways that we can, and so usually maybe staff won't be that generous, but if you can come with that, that is very helpful. Right, so look for those areas of agreement, look for places mm -hmm. where you can build some consensus. Bethany, this is, this is fantastic. I could talk about this all day long. Are there any final words that you would wanna share with organizations? Well, something I always tell my clients and my, folks if you're not at the table you're on the menu Ooh, and okay. i'm gonna i'm yeah. gonna write that down i'm gonna copy yeah. that <laughs> yeah and especially you know in these critical areas decisions be are being made about food hunger housing health care equal rights transportation energy environment every single day and so i want to see the people at at the table helping make those decisions so i would say don't abdicate your advocacy responsibilities to another organization, just like you want it, your fundraising responsibilities. Right. Bethany, we're going to have to have you back on the, back on the podcast at a later date, because I don't know about you, but I have a feeling that 2020 may be uh, an active year when it comes to policy and when it comes to election politics. So, uh, Yes, and I'm actually going to be coming out with a blog post on how to leverage the 2020 elections for your nonprofit. So I always, again, if I could just say one more thing, Please. the best time to educate a lawmaker is when they're a candidate. So um, I'm going to be talk. I'll be coming out with some more information about that. Maybe we can jump back on and talk about that too. I would love that. That would be a lot of fun, Bethany. I am going to guess that our listeners um, probably have some additional questions for you or would want to continue mm -hmm. this conversation um share with folks if you could how they can get in touch with you directly to learn more sure i have a website you can look at and you can take a look at some of the case studies on some of the clients i've worked at to see if it's they inspire you to get more engaged and that's at snyderstrategies.me and then you can also contact me at bethany at snyderstrategies.me and i do free um, consultation calls and i always tell people when you have me on the phone, let's talk strategy. Get all you can out of me for free. I love that kind of stuff. And I, you know, and then if you think it's awesome, we can figure out how to work more together. I, I think that's a great idea. And I have a feeling folks will be reaching out to you on that. And if you're not already following uh, Bethany's company or connecting with Bethany on social media, I can recommend her blog as it's one that I enjoy reading um, her articles on this topic. You can see that she's obviously knowledgeable and a very engaging speaker. So Bethany, thank you for joining us on the podcast.
Oh, thank you so much. And again, this has been Greg Nielsen of Nielsen Training and Consulting. If you would like to reach out to me directly and talk about um, ways in which we might work together to enhance the effectiveness of your nonprofit organization, you can always reach me on my website at www.nielsenconsults.com or by email at gregory at nielsenconsults.com. Also, you can find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. So thank you again, Bethany. Have a great day. Thank you.